Well, well, well. What are we going to do? Let's take our Bibles and turn to a portion of Scripture in the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. It's a good portion of Scripture. As you know, this morning, we were talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And everybody says they agreed that the Scripture does teach that Jesus is coming again, right? Did you see the hands? Everybody believed it. Now, if He is coming, is He coming only for those that are faithful, or is He coming for everybody that trusts the Lord? Whether you're ready or not. Ready or not, here I come. The Lord is coming. He is coming. Second Thessalonians, and look there in chapter 3. Chapter 3. It's nice whenever somebody writes you a letter and they say, finally. And then he writes a whole chapter. Finally. Verse 1. Finally. Brethren, pray for us. This morning in Sunday school, we talked about how that the Apostle Paul kept talking, how he prayed for them. Now he's talking about you pray for us. Do you want people praying for you? Do you believe you should pray for others? In other words, the Bible says pray for one another. I guess that goes both ways, right? goes both ways. Sometimes I've had people say, now, Yankee, when you come up here, you come and see us. Betty will say, hey, that road runs both ways. Does the road run both ways? You ever have some people say, no, they'd never come to see you, but it's okay if you come and see them. You can drive a thousand miles to see them. And if you drive and go all the way up there to see somebody, some people just can't get away. They live two blocks away. Or they live, a, you know, a mile away and they just can't, can't get free. The plate's full. You know, people really do, I think, what they really want to do. Most people just do what they really want to do. So anyway, here we are. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. In other words, nothing to hinder it. Nothing that keeps it back. That we won't do something in our Christian life that keeps the gospel from getting out, that keeps the word from getting out. We want to have free course. In other words, nothing that blocks it, nothing that hinders it. So he says, and be glorified, even as it is with you. There's power in the Word. So we want people to hear the Word, so that's why we preach the Word, and we read the Word, we study the Word, because there's power in the Word. And the Word of God can change your life. It causes you to think differently. That's why it's so good. Now look what he says in verse 2. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Now, is that a possibility even in the day in which we live? We may be delivered from wicked, unreasonable men. For all men have not faith. Everybody doesn't believe in the Lord. So, therefore, you are to pray that people will pray for you, and you pray for them, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life that we may get the job done. But like he says here, we may be delivered from unreasonable. 
wicked men. There's wicked people in this world. And you'll find out in the book of 1 Thessalonians and so on, it really talks a lot about suffering. You read the book of Peter, and he talks a lot about suffering. See, suffering and glory are almost always together in the Scripture. Suffering and glory, suffering and glory. And a lot of people need to understand, if you want to have glory later, you have to suffer now. I, we just found out just a little bit ago that Dorothy used to sit over here. Remember, Dorothy? Passed away yesterday. Was it yesterday, hon? And uh, she had gone down to Texas, and so she passed away. And then a friend of mine up there in Georgia, Cecil Owens, a deacon up there in the church every, the whole time I was there, for about 16 years, he's passed away. So one by one, uh, you know, God is picking some flowers and taking them on home. I must be a dandelion. That's just, you know, he just wants to collect the pretty flowers. And, oh, well. Notice what he says here in verse 3. But, but, in spite of these unreasonable and wicked men that don't have faith in the Lord, that may keep you from doing what God wants you to do, the Lord is still faithful. When you have everybody else that will fail you, Things don't work right. The Lord is faithful. And he says here, Who shall establish you and keep you from evil? Now the Lord can do that as long as you look to Him, walk with Him, stay close to Him. You can stay strong in spite of a wicked world. I guess God could just take us on all out of here, which He could do. But then who would reach this wicked world? There's got to be somebody. That's why we read earlier this morning, about there in the book of Titus in chapter 2, about where to live righteously and soberly and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and His glorious appearing. So God does tell us that while we're here, everything's not going to go cool. Everything's not going to be just right. You're going to have problems all the days of your life, long as you're in this body. And God is not going to take away all your problems. It's just not going to happen. Don't even expect it. He wants to give you the strength and grace that you need to go through the problems so that you can be a witness to whoever for the cause of Christ, that he might get glory from it. Of course, we could, Lord, make it easy on me. I don't want no problems. Okay, I'll take you home. That's the only thing he can do. He can't leave you here and nothing go wrong. We live in a wicked, sinful world. There's wicked, sinful people here. Things are going wrong. You can't expect too much from unfaithful people, but you can expect the Lord to be faithful, to walk with you, stay with you, never leave you, never forsake you, and give you the strength and the grace you need to walk with Him through everything. Now we know that. We're supposed to believe that. Take your Bible and look in. I want you to see these verses. The book of Lamentation. The book of Lamentation. You say, where in the world is that little book? Right between... Ezekiel and Jeremiah, right between Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And I want you to look there in chapter 3, and uh, we'll start there in verse 18. I want you to see this. Verse 18 says, And I said, this is on page 836 in your Bible, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Now, there'll be times in your life to see true faithfulness is when you remain faithful when it appears 
God has failed you. When you think God has let you down. In that moment of despair, when you're ready to give up all hope, nobody loves you. You're pet rock night. You're going to go out in the garden and eat worms. I mean, it's the end of your world. So he says here in verse 19, Remembering mine affliction and my misery. You ever remember your misery? You know, as you kind of recollect those things that people said about you, somebody did something to you, some of the misery that you go through in life. But he says, the wormwood and the gall. Now, in the New Testament, in the book of uh, Revelation, talks about the wormwood, talking about the water being made bitter because of worm. It's the bitterness that you have inside of you. And so it just ruins your life to be filled with hatred and bitterness, and you can't seem to get over it. Or you carry a grudge. And God says those things are wrong. But anyway, in verse 20 says, My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to mine. Therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because His compassions, what's those next two words? Fail not. God always has compassion for His children. Whatever you're going through and you think, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody understands. Nobody feels my pain. God says, I do. His compassions fail not. They don't fail. It means He always cares about you. Then look what He says. In verse 23, they are new every morning. And if you don't have this part of the verse underlined, you ought to underline these words. Great is thy faithfulness. You ever heard of a song called that? Great is thy faithfulness. That's where it comes from, this word right here. Then look what he says in verse 24. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. This is the future. This is what gives you peace now because you believed the Lord will not fail you. His compassions are new every morning, and there's benefits from the Lord. And so he makes a statement, therefore will I hope in him. So then he says, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him. Now you'll notice when we go back to the book of Thessalonians, you'll see where it talks about with patience they waited. With patience, patience, patience. It's mentioned everywhere, patience, patience. Because if there's some things that the Christian doesn't have much of in his life, it's patience. Patience. That's why we get so angry so fast, because we don't have patience. We think there's no hope, there's no way. But when you learn to trust the Lord, just believe that it'll, it'll work. Just keep trusting the Lord. Now look at here. There's a couple things here I want you to see. In verse 26, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly, get this, wait for the salvation of the Lord. Because, see, the Lord is coming. But also wait for the Lord to do what you cannot do. You work, you pray, you do everything that you can, and then patiently wait upon the Lord to do what you can't do. That way you put in your confidence and your trust in the Lord. But God does demand of us to make decisions, and to do certain things, to say certain things. So we have a responsibility, but it's so important. Look what he says in verse 27. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth, because the time will come. 
when he gets older, he's not going to be able to go too much. Now go back there to 2 Thessalonians in chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse, uh, page 1272. It makes a statement in verse 4. In verse 4, And we have confidence in the Lord, touching your concerning you, that ye both, get this, do, that's now, and will do, that's future, the things which we command you. So, Paul was used by the Lord to write the Scriptures, and there are many things that God has commanded of His children. And so he says, unto the patient waiting for Christ. That's down in verse 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, and into the patient waiting for Christ. Now this waiting for Christ means that you're looking for the Lord to come back, but you're patient while you do so. Patiently doing what God wants you to do. So, we can either obey the Lord or not obey the Lord. But he says he wants us to do these things and to be patient because of it. Now look in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2 in verse 1. Now, we're not going to get into whether or not we're talking about the rapture. We're talking about the revelation of Christ seven years later. The point that I'm seeking to make is he's coming. Just that truth. He is coming. And he says in verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering together unto him. Now I believe it's talking about the rapture, of course. But that day is coming. But now look there in chapter 1 and notice this. In chapter 1, you'll notice in verse 3, as the Apostle Paul writes to these Christians, he says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is necessary, me, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. Now this is what we want. This is what we want to see. We want to see people growing in the Lord, starting with your salvation and watching people grow, watching them develop. And so he says, because, he says, that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity or the love of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. You're growing in your faith, and you're growing in your love. So that's why he says in verse 4, So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your, and here's that word again, for your patient and faith in all your persecution, tribulations that you enjoy. No. There's a lot of things in life you don't enjoy. Serving the Lord is not always doing what you want to do. It's doing what you ought to do. And so you have a lot of things you'll have to just endure it. Not everything has a smiley face on it. So some things you just have to go ahead. Not everything works out perfectly. Oh, how I wished it would. But then we're talking about heaven. And since we're not there, we have to consider these things that God says are things we must endure. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, look what he says now in verse 5. Which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, 
for which you also suffer. Now, you'll be there because of Christ. But what rewards you have is because of the sufferings that you endure now. See, what you go through now is making an impact upon your future. And this is why he says in verse 6, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that do what? Trouble you. So you don't have to trouble others. I was always told, don't trouble trouble until trouble troubles you. Well, here he's talking about those who trouble you, let God trouble them. God will deal with people a lot better than you will. Because you probably do it out of revenge, and anger, and bitterness, and say and do something you wish you hadn't have done. So he says here in verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus Christ shall be revealed. Say that again. Revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. This is a good possibility of talking about the revelation, the revealing power, great glory with his angels. And he says in verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. Now remember, we had just mentioned over there in chapter 3, where he says, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. Not everybody knows the Lord, and not everybody loves the Lord. And you've got to live here in this wicked, wicked world. Now, hold your place right here and just look there in the book of Philippians in chapter 2. The book of Philippians chapter 2. And notice what he says here. Because he's left us in this world, he could have taken us out. He could have kept us from all of this. But see, the sufferings of this present time are nothing more than opportunities for us to earn rewards for all eternity. So he makes a statement here in Philippians in chapter 2, and look there in verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, can you trust the Lord with your life if you can trust him to save your soul? Well, if you can trust him with your life. Remember, in this life, God, who has all the power, he can keep any bad thing from happening to you. That's the sovereignty of God. God is powerful enough that he could keep anything bad from ever happening to me. So if anything bad happens to me, could it be because he permitted it? And that maybe I'm supposed to learn something from it, or accomplish something through it, or be the right example, is a good possibility. Now notice what he says here. For it is God that worketh in you. In verse 14, do all things without murmuring and disputing. Is God pleased with all of our complaining? Of course, now we don't complain. We just murmur a little bit about certain things. But it is possible that we complain a lot. But look what else he says. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, the children of God, without rebuke in the midst, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Now, God knows what kind of a world this is, doesn't he? Doesn't God see everything, know everything, know how 
wicked these people are, know that there's people without faith in God, and He let us, like sheep being among these wolves, doesn't God know that? Evidently, He's God. So if He does that, He might have a reason, a something or purpose that pleases Him. Well, maybe it's hidden in here somewhere. Look what He says. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom, among whom, among whom you whine and pine and moan and groan, among whom you what? What's the rest of the verse? You can't read it. You can't see it in your Bible. Ye shine as lights in the world. So one of the reasons God's left us in this old sinful world is to shine as lights in the world. Who needs the light? The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the gospel of Christ should shine unto them. See any connection there whatsoever? Just a little bit. So do we have an understanding of why we're left here? And look at all the problems that we're going to have. God could eliminate all of them with a snap of his finger, but he chooses not to. He says, if you suffer for me, you're going to be rewarded. And then he says in verse 16, how do you shine as lights in the world? Holding forth the word of life, the word of eternal life. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Because to live for another purpose is to live in vain, to run in vain. So therefore we know that God has told us in advance it's not going to be a piece of cake. He told Paul at the very beginning, I am going to show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Not what great, you know, easy life he's going to have, but what things he's going to suffer. And so it's in the book. Go back there to the first chapter of 2 Thessalonians. So the Lord says that he is coming. He's coming back. Look in verse 10. When he shall then come to be glorified in his saints, to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. In other words, they gave their testimony and they believed. So there's people who are supposed to share their testimony and then they believe. That's why you and I are going to heaven because of this. Now, I want you to take and go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, in just chapter 1, the Bible talks to us here in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. It talks about us being saved and knowing that we have eternal life and so forth. So he says there in verse 5, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. Now, I believe that once you trust Christ as Savior, you try to give a person great assurance that they have eternal life. And we try to show them salvation verses that he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you can have Great assurance, much assurance. You have it settled. Your salvation is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But if you look in verse 6, he's also talking about these 
believers in Thessalonica, and ye became followers, followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in, get this, much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Now, the apostle Paul and others that went and shared the gospel had to go through much affliction. And so that's mentioned also in chapter 2. All the things he went through to get the gospel to them. And so here we are living in good old Christian America. If we live for the same purpose, are we going to have much affliction? Is there going to be things you're going to have to struggle with in order to do it anyway? But to struggle, there's going to be problems, pressures. You got financial problems, you got health problems, and in the spite of all of those things, we're supposed to be about this too. God didn't say it was going to be a piece of cake, but He did say that uh, He expects us to do it. He did say, I'll, I'll be with you. And so He makes this statement here in verse 7. So that you were, and here's another word, these are examples. Examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. So we have those that are saved become followers. They followed, they become examples. And then you look down in verse 10, and they became, or I should say verse 9, they become servants. You see, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how ye turned to God from idols, and here's those two little words, to serve to serve the living and true God. Because, you see, it's one thing to win somebody to the Lord. It's another thing to get them to follow you long enough that they can become an example, long enough so they can become a servant and stand on their own two feet. So in the end of each one of these chapters in the book of 1 Thessalonians, it talks about something that's going to take place. Uh, we kind of talked about it this morning and tonight. See there in verse 10? And to wait for his son from heaven, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Christ Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, he delivered us the day you trusted Christ as your Savior. He delivered you from the hell that is to come, but also that we're not going to be going into the tribulation period, that time of wrath upon the earth. We've been delivered. So now in chapter 2, it makes a statement in verse 19 and verse 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? When? At His coming. Do you think the Lord keeps telling us about Him coming back because He's coming back? He must want us to remember that. It's a great motivation to serve the Lord, because we believe that He is coming. He says in verse 20, For ye are our glory and our joy. Our glory and our joy. So we have the service. Now, in chapter 3, you look there in verse 13, which is at the end of this chapter. And as you go down through here in chapter 3, it talks a lot about your faith. Your faith. And uh, just to look at this very quickly in verse 1, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear... We thought it good to be left at Athens alone. That's Athens, Georgia. That's where I was just up there at. And he says, And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborers in the gospel of Christ, to establish you, to comfort you concerning your faith, what you believe, to get them settled, get them established, 
to strengthen them. And then he says in verse 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. See that? That nobody's strong enough that the afflictions of this life doesn't move you, change you, stop you, hinder you. This is why the Apostle Paul says in chapter 20 of the book of Acts, he says, I know that I want to finish my course with joy and the ministry that God has given to me and that none of these afflictions move me. They don't stop him. So he says that no man should be moved by these afflictions for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. In other words, it's an appointment you have. God has have you ever gone to the doctor and you made an appointment and you're supposed to be there at 12 o'clock and so you got there a little bit earlier and then he finally saw you at 2 o'clock? All the time. God says these afflictions are appointments. They're not accidents. There's appointments that God has. And so he may have appointments for you tomorrow. Now, you didn't have to plan it. God may just intervene into your life. Remember, when you dedicate your life to the Lord, expect God to interrupt your schedule. Because you have your own plans and what you expect, and God has His. Now, sometimes they are parallel, and sometimes they're contrary. And don't we just despise it when things just rock our life and change us around so that... It's not what I thought. It's not what I expected. That's all right. God has a plan all of his own. And you're supposed to wait patiently on the Lord and watch the Lord work. So he says down here in verse 5, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means, some means, the tempter having tempted you and our labor be in vain. You see, it's not just enough to win somebody. Lord, you've got to stay after them sometimes. And people are easily led astray. And they hear this doctrine, they hear that doctrine, all those things that are crazy. And you've got to be careful. You'll follow those things, and next thing you know, it'll, it'll trap you. It can get you. You can take, take a Jehovah's Witness. Boy, I love them coming to my house. I love to get a hold of them Jehovah's Witnesses. And you'd be surprised they may plant some doubts into your mind. And next thing you know, you become a Jehovah's Witness. You say, it never happened. Yeah, it can. I've been doing this a long time. I've seen people that you would think would never do that. And they do. And they fall into this belief and this belief and this belief. Because if you don't have the answers to all that wicked stuff, their thoughts and their questions plant seeds into your mind. And so those doubts become your doubts. And if you feed doubts, your faith will starve to death. But if you feed your faith, your doubts will starve to death. Feed your faith. The things you do believe, the things that are right. Don't feed your mind on the things that are not. You run a great risk. So he says this down through here. He wants them to stand fast in the Lord. Then he makes this statement up there in verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish you. 
your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even as God, Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He's coming back. But God wants you and I to become stabilized, to know what you believe and why you believe it. Now, hold your place right here, because I want you to see this over in the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, and chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, God says that He has given to every man grace according to the ministry that He wants you to perform. So, He can give you the desire and the power to do the will of God, but you can deny the grace of God in your life and never fulfill the ministry God intended for you. So he says in verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So then he says in last part of verse 8, Gave gifts unto men. Verse 11, Gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. These are ministers to minister to people in the church so that they would not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes along. And he says they were given to the church for the perfecting of the saints or the equipping of the saints. See there in verse 12? For the work of the ministry. It appears that God wants every one of His children involved in the work of the ministry. Every child of God is to be involved in the work of the ministry. Now, I didn't write that, but that's what he says. See up here in verse 7 again? For unto most of us, or does it say, every one of us, every one of us. And then down in verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. Are you a saint? If you trust that Christ is your Savior, you are a saint. <laughs> Bernard, <laughs> no. You are a saint. Now, you may not look like a saint, act like a saint, but in God's eyes you have been made pure and holy and set apart, sanctified for the Lord's work. So he says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Edify means to beautify what's there and add to it. Beautify what's there and add to it. So we're to help each Christian to become stronger in the Lord, stable in the Lord, and add to it. Keep adding to it. Look in verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. Does God expect all of His children to believe the same thing? The unity of the faith. Being of the same mind, same judgment, where we should all think the same way. Why? Because if we all listen to God, and God tells us what to believe, shouldn't we all believe the same thing? I would think so. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. So God wants you to be strong enough that you're not swayed by every wind of doctrine that comes along. And buddy, there's a lot of things that people teach that are not according to this book. So, go back there to the book of 1 Thessalonians. So, in chapter 4, you find out that he says, I, I beseech you, brethren, that you abound more and more in your walk with the Lord. See there in the last part of verse 1, how you ought to walk and to please God. 
how you ought to walk and please God. Now, you ought to do that. So, because one day we're going to stand before the Lord. The, the Lord is coming. So, we live here according to does it please God. It doesn't necessarily please everybody else, but does it please God? And that's why it's so important. Look what he said in verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. So you have the scripture that tells us how God wants us to think, how he wants us to be. Then he talks about in verse 13 down to verse 18, what we consider the rapture scriptures. And the reason is because Christ is coming again. He's coming. See there in verse 16, he's talking about the Lord is coming. Unto the coming of the Lord, verse 15, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. We'll be called up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, when he says in verse 18, Wherefore comfort one another with prescription drugs. Oh, um, words. Wherefore comfort one another. Because when you lose somebody that's precious to you, there's great sorrow. And what's supposed to bring comfort is you know as he says up here in the last part of verse 14, when he comes back, he's going to bring them with him. You'll see them again. So we sorrow and we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. But we do have hope. And so we believe, yes, Jesus is coming. And he is our comfort. He is our hope. And then you look there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look what he says in verse 23. This is talking about your whole body, soul, and spirit. All that you are. All that you are. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. And what's the last part of that verse? Unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God told us what he's going to do. He, he's coming. He's told us he's going to reward us. And he says, I will be with you and I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And while you're here, you're going to suffer an awful lot. There's a lot of things going to go wrong in your life. But before we quit, look at this one verse. Look there in 1 Peter chapter 4. Just turn to your right there. 1 Peter chapter 4. And you'll notice that there's a, a wonderful verse that you just got to lay your eyes on here. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look in verse 12. Beloved, think it strange. Um, let's read it again. Think it not strange concerning the bed of roses. You can see what it says, don't you? What does it say? Fiery trial. The trial of your faith. Your faith is on trial. God is putting you to the test. Do you love him? You say, yes, I do. How much? More than your health? More than your wealth? More than this world? Do you love the Lord more? Now, remember, you can never lose the Lord. Now, you can lose everything else. So you're going to have your testing. So look what he says. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which might try you. No, is to try you. As though some strange thing happened, you just don't know what I'm going through. Oh, I mean, you got some strange thing happened to you. Nobody else has ever had happen. We go through pretty much the same things, just different times in our life. 
as though some strange thing happened unto you. In verse 13, but rejoice now, rejoice now, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. So we suffer now, glory later. And we're supposed to be patient and wait upon the Lord. And it'll work. So we don't have all the answers. We don't have to. I just know the one that's got all the answers. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. But God says that He loves us. Now, He hates what we do wrong, but He loves us. And for the wrong that we do, these sins, mistakes, anything you want to call it, whatever sin is, we did it. And because we did, we're guilty. And because we're guilty... Uh, we got a debt to pay because the wages of sin is death. So we're all condemned. We're all in the same boat. So the Bible says for us to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God, and none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. We're all sinners. And God says you cannot pay for your sins except by death, eternal separation from the Lord. So God says you cannot earn eternal life. You cannot buy your way to heaven. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. Came into the world because He loves us. Hates our sin because our sin separates us from Him. So Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. So because He loved us, He took our sin. Not His. He took our sin. Paid for it on the cross and came back from the dead. So that you and I would believe He did it for us. He would put the payment to our account and we go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. That's the best news in all the world. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around. And if you're watching by internet, right where you are, all you need to do, it's the only thing you have to do, the only thing you can do, is will you believe that when Christ did that, that He did it for you. If you will believe it, God said He will save you and give you eternal life. Eternal life is a free gift. You can't earn it, can't work for it. Once you have it, can't lose it. Because it's free. God loves you so much. Would you trust Him? Right on the screen it says, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. And if you believe it, let us know. Our Father, we do thank you so much for your watch, care, and your love, and all your provision for us, for meeting all of our needs. And Lord, for giving us your word whereby we can read and study it, be challenged and motivated in order to be found faithful, that we're not children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes along. Help us to be stabilized, to know what we believe, why we believe it, and Father, help us to comfort others with these words. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.